Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Esper Studios. Today on the show, I'm joined with author Angela Meyer as we talk about her book, The Undetected Narcissist. We talk about her son who's got cerebral palsy and autism and everything she's done to get all the support he needs to get him to help him through life. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today I'm joined with Angela, and we're going to be talking about what it's like for her to raise her son on the spectrum. Welcome to the show, Angela. Yes, thank you, Reed. I'm very excited to be here today. All right, so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, and we'll get going. Okay. Um, I am a clinical certified hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner. I am a wellness coach. Some people consider me a spiritual advisor, and I'm also an author. And I recently just published a book called The Undetected Narcissist. And I wrote it because what happened to my son and I, who is on the spectrum, is happening to families and children all across the United States, and they're going undetected. And just to tie in that, if any of you have watched the trial about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, the best thing he did was to bring in a psychologist to watch her testimony, because without that, everyone was in the dark and they were confused. They saw the the craziness and like, why would you do that? The abnormal behaviors. But once she was, you know, detected and exposed, it shined a light and everyone was like, now I get it. And that's why I really, you know, wrote the book is I had the same exact thing happen. I, I was taken to court and I was smeared and everything and it traumatized me and my kiddo. And it made... It made my son's life really, really challenging, especially having autism, because in his dad's perspective, he wanted he thought that if he had custody of him, that all his autism behaviors would go away. He would be normal. And the judge believed it. The attorney believed it. The parent coordinator believed it. Well, it's not true. That's a big lie. And so that's why I wrote the book is to save lives, to spare people from psychological and emotional mental abuse. And so I'm you can tell I'm really passionate about this subject. I, I, I want to help everyone. I, I want I want the world to change and I want us to um, understand narcissism coming from a place of wisdom, knowledge, and compassion instead of coming from a place of anger, fear, and hate. Yeah, I would love to talk to the judge and to the coordinator and to the lawyer and sit down with them and say, listen, you think you can talk away, you can talk anything ASD away, but you can't. It's part of who we are. It's part of our our mental conditioning, our, it 
hereditary into a degree to either it's passed down from mother and father or grandparents and so and so, but you can't get rid of it. And the best thing I was ever told before I even knew I had autism was I went away for school for just learning disabilities and we had a meeting like a dinner with all the former students and one and i was sitting down with one of them he said i'm going to tell you something and that is and the head of the uh thing says listen you're going to live with it you're going to die with it you can't you just gotta learn to work around it exactly and that's the way life is i mean it's a mental disability that we live with so they the judge sounded very, all three of them sounded very arrogant. Well, the nice thing is when my kiddo came back home and the his father actually, because uh, I was told it was going to take me two years and like $30,000 to get my, my kiddo back. And my kiddo was telling everyone, uh, child psychologist, the judge, the parent coordinator, anyone he could tell, I don't want to live with my dad because <clears throat> he's cold. He's not nice. He's, you know, <clears throat> he makes fun of me. He makes fun of my autism. And, and the, the beauty of it is I couldn't, and this was, this was hard. I couldn't tell my son not to have his behaviors because his dad was literally baiting him to have those behaviors because the more he acted out, the more it made it seem like, yes, it's her fault. It's all her fault. But when my son realized that everybody lied to him and nobody was going to help him, he took matters in his own hands and he, he intentionally said, I made my dad's life a living hell so I could go back home. And his dad did. His dad lost everything. He lost his job. He lost his wife. He spent $100,000 trying to destroy me. $100,000. Yeah, crazy. And so when he went, when the dad went back to the judge and said, I have damaged this child. I have damaged this relationship. This child should live with its mom. And the judge heard everything that he was withholding from her because the police were coming out. Um, child services were coming out. I even found neglect because he wasn't giving him his anxiety medicine, the hydroxyzine. He wasn't taking him to physical therapy because our son also has cerebral palsy, spastic wow. leg disease. Oh, I know. I discovered all this stuff that he was hiding. And I had a friend sitting in the background watching the judge react hearing it all. And she said she literally thought the judge was crying. And here's the beautiful thing, though, Reed. The judge apologized to me. That's why I don't hate her. She admitted she made a mistake. And she apologized. So she's not, I don't, I, and that's the thing I want to stress is we really need to expose these people because if I didn't get custody of, here's the scariest thing. I didn't put this in this book and I will tell you, read this here. And I want to send out a trigger warning to everybody. It took my son two and a half years to confess this to me. He said, do you know why my dad went to the judge and let me go home? It was because I was on the balcony. It was a three story high balcony. I was on the ledge ready to jump and kill myself. And I, I didn't care about you. 
I didn't care about him. I wanted it to stop. And not until I was on that ledge ready to jump did my dad finally hear me. Finally hear me. That's scary, isn't it? That is scary. I mean, to be driven to that, I mean, that's the problem with a lot of people today, especially with autism is they, there are a lot of families out there who don't run or recognize that their kid is disabled. They'll either label it as laziness or unwillingness. I mean, I have a really good friend I met through the whole um, autism community and Facebook and stuff. And he's Mexican and his father's the old school and his father just looks at him and says, you're lazy. And my friend's also got several other issues. He's got severe ADHD. He's got POTS. He's got severe depression. And you topple all this and it's just heart wrenching. It is heart wrenching because you realize when you're not being accepted for your authentic self and they can't embrace you and love you the way that you should be loved, that does cause conflict. That that does make you depressed. That does create anxiety. That does create, I really believe, or exasperates, you know, mental health issues because they're struggling. And the worst thing is... You created this beautiful child, but you can't embrace what you created? Just because it's not what you think normal should be doesn't mean it still isn't a gift from, you know, from God or from some higher source. It's precious, just like every living human being on this planet. Yeah. Anyways, let's get into the questions. Awesome. All right. What was the hard, what is the hardest thing about raising a son on the spectrum for you? In the beginning, the hardest thing was to get people to listen. <clears throat> and I would say in that area was more um, around family because I have a daughter that's 24. And when you raise a kid that doesn't have any, you know, mental health, you know, issues or disabilities, stuff like that, you definitely know the difference and you know the milestones that they're going to make. And when I noticed a huge shift in him, I was like, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And I went to the doctor, his primary care physician, and he thought I was a paranoid mom. You're just a paranoid mom. And when it finally he still kept saying it and it got to a year point. And I said, if you do not give me a referral right now to, um, to get him evaluated, I'm going to drive all the way down. You know, it was like three and a half hours away where he was born. I will drive to that hospital. And they told me they will get me any of testing I need. And I was, you know, I had to go to that extreme and not until I got him tested and I got him into children's hospital and they did the MRI. Here's the thing. The doctor said when I found out he had cerebral palsy, they're like, we wished we would have seen you a year ago because we could have helped him a lot better. And that really, really made me mad, extremely mad. And there and so. I had to, I literally had to educate myself in how to 
first communicate with a child that's nonverbal. He does speak now. He's, he's, you know, he's great at it. I had to take you know, classes, I had to do the early intervention program, which I thought was great. They prepped him for preschool and into going to, you know, regular classroom and stuff. And so it was, it was fascinating and challenging at the same time, but it, you love them in such a beautiful way that I honestly have to say is different than raising a child that doesn't have any disabilities because the connection you form with them when you truly accept them, you truly, they know that you, they are seen and they are heard and they are allowed to be their authentic self. And you really support them in thriving and being the best that they can be wherever they're at. And so to I, I just I, I don't regret any of it. I think it taught me so much and um and I and I'm and I love my kid for it. You know, it made me a better human being. I really feel it did because it opened my eyes and it educated me. It gave me more compassion, more knowledge, more wisdom. And it allows me then to share that like I am with you here now. That's that same stuff. All right. What were the hardest things to deal with when he was nonverbal? The hardest was, it was almost like a guessing game, like, you know, what do you need? And not until the, the state gave me um, a, one of those devices that they can touch, like saying, press this, I want a cup of water, or yes. I want a mm -hmm. snack. Good. Not until that happened, did it make things easier a lot easier because it was, it was a guessing game. It really was a guessing game. And I had to make little um, laminated flashcards and point at it going, Hey, do you want a snack? Okay. Now it's time for shower. And what I learned about kids with autism is they thrive in structure. They have to have a routine. They have to have consistency and, and structure. And when what makes them go crazy, you know, is when they don't have structure. And so what I learned with my kiddo is I need to prep him. If I want to go somewhere, I say, okay, in 10 minutes, we're going to go to the doctor. And, and then I and then if he's still, you know, kind of fooling around five minutes, I come over and I say, OK, in five minutes, we're going to be going. And so it's prepping him ahead of time, because what I learned with him is he hates it, literally hates it when I say we're going now, right now we're going get everything ready. We're going. He can't stand that because he needs to go at a slower pace, a more comfortable pace. It kind of reminds me of me because when I went away for my master's, I was, I went to England and it was a slower pace for me and I felt more relaxed and then coming home, it's just like, I got thrown into all this mix of fast paced life, trying to, trying to get back in the flow of things and it just drove me nuts. It took me forever to finally deal with things. And then on top of that, I lose my father 
to cancer and then I had to deal with that. And then I lose my dog this year. And then it's just everything on top, one on top of another. So it takes me forever to acclimate to, to a situation. It is. And I, and sorry for your, lo- your loss. It, I, I noticed that um, the way they process grief and the way that they process um, certain things sometimes can be different. And, um, and it's really just learning how to, to put yourself aside and really be there for them and, and be, and be supportive. And I mean, cause yes, we, we live in a world that is so fast paced, so fast paced that it doesn't allow wiggle room. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that you were, the state came to you with the devices. I one of my previous guests worked for one of the programs down in, I believe it was in South or North Carolina. And she talked about all the different devices. There were iPads with several thousand dollars of software that you use, and it has a whole a whole vocabulary of stuff. So you're probably familiar with that. I am familiar with that. At the time, um, they they really didn't have like a, a Kindle, and it, it was it was pretty big and and heavy. But it, my son's 14 right now, but it did. Um, allow me it's kind of like i was renting it until he got better and then when i was able to buy a um kindle they told me of all these awesome apps that were on there and and i i loved it and they even had apps on there for teaching kids how to use the potty (laughs) which is another thing kids with autism you know struggle with and um it just I, I really appreciated it and I really liked it. And I, I seriously encourage every parent who, if you're listening to this, if you have any questions or doubts about your kid, the best way you can support them is, is get them tested. Cause I've, I've talked to many parents and, and I've noticed that, Hey, your kid's on this, you know, I think your kid might be on the spectrum and I see the denial in their eyes. They're like, well, I know he's a little different and a little off. And it's, it's hard. It's hard because some people are stuck in that. They don't want to think, oh, you know, oh no, my kid can't be that way. But it doesn't have to be an ugly subject. To me, I think they are beautiful human beings. I mean, they are compassionate they are loving they are caring they're they're savants i mean here's a perfect example when my kiddo was i got him the program your baby can read and when he was three i think it was about two and a half three years old he was reading he literally was reading and when he went into kindergarten and they tested him he was at a third grade reading level and then in second grade I had a parent teacher conference and I thanked them for teaching him um, all the states and the capitals in, in the United, in, in the U S and they started laughing and they said, Oh no, we didn't teach him that at all. He taught himself. He literally every day looked at the map and said, Florida, Tampa, you know, like Texas, this California, Sacramento, we, you know, went on and on. And I was like, Holy cow. And this, this kid before he, 
he he he's teaching himself russian he knows japanese he knows hebrew he knows german uh, he he least knows maybe a dozen different languages he's taught himself how to play the piano he's making his own music now they're smart well i mean you're it sounds like he not all everybody on the spectrum has right. that kind of ability it sounds like your son almost has the savantism. Yes, he's already been told to that. Learn quick. Yes. Like one, two, three, and he's able to pick it up. Is he able to like listen to a song and play it by air? Sometimes, yes. That's actually how he he plays music. Is it's all by ear, and I'm like, I mean, I'm just I'm fascinated at it because I can't do that. <laughs> I don't think anyone can do that. I mean, yeah, he's like right. He sounds like he's almost right in that range of like Beethoven, where he, where he can compose music with the blink of an eye. He actually is fascinated with classical music. And when a classical song would go on, he's like, that's Bach in G major and just go off. And I would be like, well, I didn't know that. I mean, he's, he's really got a talent. I mean, to be able to teach yourself languages and hold it to teach yourself the states and know all this stuff. I mean, he's got it, must have an incredible memory. He does. And that's the, the hard thing. And But uh, how I supported him in that is when he had the Kindle, they actually have a Sesame Street um, videos of um, around the world, Sesame Street around the world. And he watched every single one of them. And that's how he learned Hebrew. That's how he learned um, Italian and all these other languages by watching that Sesame Street series when he was a young kid. And then he went on the computer and started watching YouTube videos like kids stuff of different countries, children shows. And I was like, so fascinated. I just, I just let him soak it all up because it was, it, it was his passion. But then here's, here's a funny one. He, um, he had an obsession with fire alarms for one moment and we were in um, Salem Ho hospital rehab and they had the fire alarm thing, perfect kids eye view. So he walks over to it and just turns it on and gets <laughs> so excited. The elevators close, all the doctors are running out of the offices going, where's the fire? What happened? What happened? And I'm standing there literally almost wanting to cry. My son's jumping up and down. It's a fire alarm. It's a fire alarm. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> I know. Now, does he have ADHD or is just yes? Well, yeah. That's some, so that's, that's pretty challenging. Impressive. That is challenging because I, I mean, I know a lot of people who have ADHD and ASD. And they don't even have that kind of intelligence your son has. I mean, to do all that stuff. I mean, because your ADHD kicks in and it's just like you can't hold anything in memory. Correct. And it can be really dangerous because um, when we took him off the the ADH medication, there was a period there was where he would get so overstimulated. And there was one day where it's going to sound terrible for his amusement, as he said, I'm just going to punch um, this $200 TV screen and see what happens. And he damaged it. 
And then another time he was out in the garage and thought, you know, oh, I'll make a video for my amusement. I didn't know he was in the garage. He had no shoes or socks on, bare feet. Oh, I'm going to take this masonry glass, you know, jar and I'm going to throw it on the floor. Glass shattered everywhere. And I mean, that's the hard thing is they can do things when they're overstimulated that they regret. And even just last week, when he was sucking on a cough drop, he just thought it was a good idea to put the cough drop in his ear. Yeah, no, seriously. And I had to take him to the emergency to have them flush it out. He, he must have shoved it pretty deep in. He did. And oh. um, and it and it, it was painful for him to have them, you know, flush it out because his eardrum was all irritated and red. But I had to have that talk with him like, hey, you know, I'm not mad or anything. I, I love you. But this is a good lesson of we don't stick stuff in our ears. And the only thing you stick in your nose is your finger. OK. <laughs> <laughs> And anyway. he, but, the, the, but what was so sad is mm. when he realized when he came down from the overstimulation, he literally was on the floor bawling and crying, beating himself up and just he he was so mad at himself. And I had to literally get on the floor with him and say, hey, it's OK. You know, it, it's it's OK. And that's the thing is, I really believe to be the best parent that you can be, you got to get down on their level. You got to support them. You got to look at them. You got to hear them. And you got to be gentle and kind because we all, all make mistakes. That's how we learn. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, he's got incredible talent. And I mean, when I get overstimulated, I don't, I don't go that crazy, but I just get really, really, really tired. Yeah. Or, I mean, we'll go out into a noisy restaurant and I'll be sitting there and I'll be rocking back and forth and just, just trying to deal with the noise. And then when I get home, it'll be like, I got to go to sleep because my mind is just buzzing and I need that quiet for my mind to shut down. No, I hear you. And he has those moments, too, where he'll literally come in my room and say, I, I can't sleep. My mind won't be quiet. You know, can I just lie here next to you for, you know, for a while? Because I, I just, I need some extra, you know, support because he doesn't want to be medicated. Because uh, when he first was, when he first came home and he literally had complex PTSD. I mean, it was hard, so hard. He would disassociate and lose track of time. And when he came home, he was having nightmares that would wake him up and he would vomit, literally vomit. He, uh, it was just, it was, it was really, really bad. And so the, the doctors had him on trazodone to help him sleep. And, um, my son hated it. He just hated how it made him feel. And so, um, I, I told the doctor that I don't, I don't want to give this, you know, to him. And I had to find a way that would better support him in, in getting sleep without, you know, medication. Like, let me give you some, you know, melatonin. Let's, um, you know, like, um, let's create a safe space. You, I have been using CBD. You may want to suggest that to him because I, I, have, well, I have actually done that. 
And, and here's the thing is I know it's legal here in, in, um, in Oregon, but a lot of um, people sometimes frown upon it, uh, frown upon it, but it does help. I mean, I take it myself every night to go no, to I'm sleep. Not, I'm not talking about the C, that full, the full force. I'm not talking about right. CBD. I'm talking CBD, CBD, even Delta eight CBD. I take it every night because I have tinnitus. I have racing thoughts and it helps quiet my mind. I don't know why people frown upon it, but it works. Right. And it's healthy and it's natural. Yeah. I've gone from gummies to the tinnitures to now I have a spray. So if you don't mind me asking, will you email me? I mean, do we're like, what kind of, you know, um, I, through, is it prescription wise? No, no. Okay. Through um, Kristen, you know, our uh, okay. mental health Mem- regular news yes. network who introduced us. Cool. One of the people that she put me in touch with was this guy who create his, his own CBD line that they have mm. created. Awesome. And I originally was hoping to get him to sponsor me, but they don't do that. So I decided to use this stuff to see what it's like. And I've tried their their balm for pain and it works. Um, they have gummies and then they have a spray, which you spray underneath your tongue six times, like 10 to 15 minutes before you go to sleep. And it, it's all natural stuff. It's full spectrum. And it doesn't knock you out but it lulls you to sleep right and that's what i'd rather have than just being knocked out i mean yeah it takes a while but the minute it quiets my mind down to the point where i can sleep yeah no that's 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 awesome i mean i'm i'm all about doing whatever you can that's you know in an in a natural way that just works with the body because anyone can turn on the TV and see an infomercial about medication and oh they're smiling and stuff but this could cause a heart you know heart failure or you could develop diabetes and the list is like the side effects sometimes is more longer than what the actual cure is supposed to be yeah I mean I my very first guest I uh, we were talking and she told me she's got two kids on the spectrum and one can't can't take melatonin because they have too much melatonin in their system and the other has little so he uses CBD and it helps and so that's when I started looking into using CBD right on so anyways what kind of milestones has he come across in his 16 years so far? Um, the milestones is he's achieved a lot. The area where I think he's, he still struggles is the um, overstimulation, the sensory processing. And in a way, sometimes I think I, I, I can relate to it because 
I'm an empath. Okay. I I can tell, I can walk in the room and I can read the energy of the room. And and I think a lot of people can do it too. We just don't Mm. realize that we can do it because when you know, two people got in a fight and you walk in that room, you can cut that anger that with a knife. I mean, literally everyone, you can feel it. And so I'm just like him. I hate crowds. I I really, really hate crowds. And so I think the milestones for him more so right now is honoring himself and standing up to bullies. That's good. Yeah. And we have, we literally today had a talk about, about bullies where there was this kid that, um, he was talking to and the kid was um, bullying him and making, making fun of my son, calling my, my son, you know, bad words and, and stuff. And I, I, I told my son, I'm like, you need to report that person because, uh, cause the guy literally said to my son, you should go kill yourself. Oh. Yeah. That's what, the, that's what my son told me this, this morning on oh, the way to God. school. That's, and I said, that's against the law. You need to report that kid on the discord platform that you were talking to. And I said, and now you know why I don't like that, you know, that social media app, because there are some kids out there that are struggling with depression and they might just go ahead and do it. And we, we've got to, we, we got to, And that's the hard thing is some of these platforms are very beneficial in connecting people, but then they're very damaging if you're not monitoring it and you're not kicking those rotten, you know, ones off of it because they're destroying it for for everyone else that, you know, wants to have fun and connect or play games together. Yeah, I mean, I feel that pain. I mean... I have a friend, the friend I was just telling you about, he's at wit's end with things and he keeps telling him he wants to kill himself. And I keep telling you, keep telling him, don't. You got family you're leaving behind. You got friends you're leaving behind. It's not, it's not worth it. You got to stand up for yourself. And he started self-advocating for himself. You do. You, they have to really learn how to advocate for themselves and how to to stand up to those to those to people that are bullies and it's it's unfortunate and this happens to people that that aren't on the spectrum it happens to just you know everyday people and it's it drives people to suicide it does and we're literally in i believe a mental health crisis you know, we, we are. And I, I saw just this morning logging into my Yahoo account that, you know, there was another shooting. And I'm like, are you oh, kidding? Yeah. My mom and I saw that yesterday in Oklahoma. Yeah. I'm like, what? I so mean, it, it, it's getting scary out there, Reed. I know. I mean, my friend says he's like, what's wrong with our country? Well, you all get you. We got all these other countries who are dealing with gun control pretty well. Why can't we? I'm like, it's simple. You're dealing. You got to deal with our Congress and the Republicans. They're all against it. Yeah. Well, and I was having a 
a conversation today um, with these two elder gentlemen. And one guy said, you know, when he was in you know high school, he's like, I would drive up into the school parking lot and I would have two guns on the rack and stuff. And he's like, I just don't get this. And I said, but here's the difference. You were taught that you, that gun is a weapon and it can be used as a weapon, just like your car, just like your vehicle. And you were taught to respect it, that it was a privilege you know, and you were taught how to handle it, you know, how to store it and all that stuff and to stay safe. And the thing is, is a, a lot of these kids, they aren't being taught that what's teaching them. And, you know, I'm a gamer as well, but is some of these video games and I don't want to, yeah. you know, slam on the video games because I, I, I'm a huge read a World of Warcraft fan. <laughs> I am. I'm a wow lover. I, I do. I play it. Um, and some people could say, well, you know, you're you're condoning violence. But I'm like, no, I realize it's a game, but I, you know, I have no desire to, you know, have a gun in my car or, or anything like that. And so the problem is, is these kids that are stuck in trauma and we don't know how to help them what happens is is that kid who is be, ends up becoming narcissistic and doesn't have anything to lose those are the ones that are dangerous and you know those are the ones that are going out and you know getting the assault rifle rifle at 18 and i i looked at the guy and i'm like we need to change it i believe until they're 21 and if they do want it, then we need to ask them a series of questions like, OK, well, what why do you need two assault rifles? And if the person says, well, I'm going to go hunting, you tell them, OK, well, show me your hunting license. And then you want to ask them, well, where are you going to hunt? OK, if you're going to hunt deer, where's the best place to go hunt deer? And if they don't know how to answer those questions and if and also just like getting your learning permit. You have to be educated. You have to be informed. Then you have to get in a vehicle and practice, practice, practice. Then you have to prove to the person that you can drive to get your license. I think the same thing should be applied when it comes to gun control. Yeah, because you're just, really yeah, you're just giving it to them. And the person that's testing them or watching them, observing them, if they know they're, you know, this is an angry person, this person is resentful, you know, this, this and that, I'm not going to give you your license. I think it needs to be a mental check, too. Oh, yes, I fully agree that. And they should read their social media feed because that guy yeah. that killed those kids posted on Facebook, he was going to do it. And the parents should be held accountable and responsible for those kids actions and behaviors. Yes. Speaking of Discord, I have my own Discord, and I'm going to start sending it to any of my guests who have kids or who want to come, and it will be a safe place. Right on. So if, you're, so if you and your son want to come, you can become monitor, moderators on it, because I have nobody right now, but it'll be, I'll make it a safe place. Yes, I really thank you, Reed, because I really think more kids need to have a, a safe place, especially when COVID hit. I mean, yeah. kids felt so isolated. And I think that's where a lot of kids gravitated towards 
the social media outlets like TikTok and Discord because they could engage with other, you know, kids. But the problem is, is there's less monitoring and, and it's harder because it's a little small device in front of your face and no kid's going to want their parent hovering over them. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, what kind of resources have you used to learn about him? And when, how old was he when he got diagnosed? He was, I think it was around about two and a half when he, he finally got diagnosed because I couldn't get him in until he was around two years old. And then there's the testing and all that stuff you have to go through. And, and so it was around two and a half. And the awesome thing was there was that early intervention program that was very supportive. My kiddo got on um, disability services so we had a caseworker with that. And what really supported me, and I still utilize it now, was having a PSW. That's a personal support worker. And I wish I would have known about that um, from the very beginning. Because when I learned that my son had all these disabilities, I couldn't work full time. I was having to take him every week occupational therapy once a week, speech therapy once a week, PT twice a week. Then there was Shriners Hospital. There was Children's Hospital. There's eye exam. My son's had to have, you know, three eye surgeries so far and, you know, getting braces fit on his legs and getting orthotic shoes. I mean, all these appointments were just so overwhelming for me. And the beautiful thing about a PSW is they can drive that kid to speech therapy. They can take the kid to all these appointments for you, which can be a huge, you know, relief. And so anyone who's listening to this, um, I, I would do that because I before I did that, I was doing ABA and I got to tell you, I didn't like ABA. I really did not like them. Um, uh, at all because their approach wasn't congruent with me in the terms of, of, of parenting. And there was one point where they wouldn't let my son move on to the next task until he had completed it. And my son was getting mad and angry. And I looked at the person and I said, if you were doing that to me as a child, I I would tell you to, <laughs> there's a cat. I would tell you to go stick it. I literally would call you choice words. And I said, but I'm not going to do that right now. You need to get out of my house. You're not going to treat my child like this because no one should be treated like that. I said, you're actually being a bully, in my opinion, trying to force him or get him to conform to comply to you. I know there's a better way of going about this. And when I shared that, with my son's PSW right now, he fully agreed. He said their approach is to mold it to that child. It's not, you know, oh, well, this works for all kids on autism spectrum. You know, it's going to work for your kiddo. 
It didn't. And the thing is, is they didn't know my son. They weren't trauma informed. So when a kid has autism and they're de dealing with trauma, I mean, that's completely, you know, different can of worms right there. Of course, he's not, you know, going to respond to an authoritative approach. He's going to fight against it. Yeah, I mean, you'll learn, and, and I've learned when I've come into the community that ABA is kind of frowned at. Like one, it's like right next to Autism Speaks is one of the biggest things they frown on is ABA treatment. Oh, I hate it. Anyways, has he found his hyper focus yet? We still. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a challenge. He actually has to take um, medication for that because if he doesn't, he um, he can hurt himself, like punching the the TV screen and the the glass container. And, and it's hard because he he doesn't like it, and he really he really struggles, you know, with it. And and so. When he's having his hyper moments, I, I let him have it. I let him process through it because um, I know he's going to get exhausted. He's going to wear himself, you know, he's going to wear himself out. But it's just really making sure that he can do it in a fun and safe and healthy environment where he, he, he's still loved and he's not made fun of. And it's like, Hey, be your creative, you know, wild self, you know, do it, but let, let's just be safe while we're doing it. Has he found that one thing he knows he's really, 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 really good at and just does it to the point he, that he can literally teach anyone else it or just talks about it all day. The two areas is foreign languages and and music. I think those are the two two big areas that he just thrives and 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 loves the most. I mean, he even taught himself Gaelic. <laughs> and we won, we were one time at Casey Eye Institute and the lady, you know, examining his eyes was from Ireland and he starts talking Gaelic to her and she's like, "Oh my god." She was amazed. <laughs> so, and the cool thing is the school that he goes to there's a, a lady there that that knows how to speak German. So every day when they greet each other, you know, they greet each other in German and they they, they talk in German. And last week there was a substitute that was from Russia. And so he's talking to that lady in Russia. And it's just it's I just I'm so proud of him, how he just thrives in this area. How has he dealt with COVID? Honestly, this is going to sound bizarre to a lot, a lot of people, but it's our truth. I really feel COVID was a blessing for us because we were both struggling with PTSD. And he didn't come home. And when he finally came home, it was August 16th and um, 2019. And so when he came home, it was really trying to get him to recuperate. Um, he he did spend one semester in school and then boom, it was COVID. But actually, um, 
it allowed him to be in a safe environment and not fear being in school because there his school had like 3000 kids and it it gave him the opportunity to i think you know heal better in a way and and not be so um social to really just more focus on him 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 um he hated online schooling it is not meant for any kiddo with an iep i just got to tell you it, it does not it does not work um but that was okay and i think the beautiful thing of it is when it came time to returning to school he he was able to use his voice and say, hey, I'm having anxiety about going to a school that has 3000 kids. I, I told the school and they said, well, we have this new school that opened up that um, will only have 100 students in there. And it's all designed for kids that have an IEP. And we think your kiddo would be perfect for that that school. There's no stairs, anything like that. It, it, it's great. And he loves that school. He was literally one of the first students to enroll in that school. And he might right now have maybe 50 to 60 students in the school, but I, he gets more one-on-one -on -one attention. All the teachers are incredibly wonderful people. And I'm just, I'm really, you know, thankful and blessed that where we live, we have resources like that. Now, does he have any friends? He does, but he, that's the hard part. He, he does have some friends at school, but um, he doesn't. And it's, it's hard. He has more, more friends that he has met through, I'd say, the autism community online mm -hmm. than with with kids in in school because he's. I think some of the kids that he goes not some. I mean, it is it is true. Some of the kids that he goes to school with, um, why they're there is they were bullied to such a degree that I know it's really sad. And there was this one girl he was friends with that I met and the girl started bullying this. She said something to this one kid that um, struck, struck my son really, really hard. And he, he decided, I don't want to be friends with this person anymore. And the, this one student um, told the classroom that he was just diagnosed as being schizophrenic. Right. And she said, I have very little empathy for you. And it blew my son's mind. And he was like, how could she say that? I mean, she was bullied herself to, to such a degree that she ended up in this school. She should have compassion and empathy. But I had to explain to my son that that is one of the ways that a narcissistic person is created because they're not born that way. We as a society create them and how they're created is three ways of parenting. The neglectful parent that is 
more into themselves and really doesn't want to pay attention. You know, it's like, oh, I see the kid, but I don't have time for the kid. I, 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 I have my own life. The other one is an absent parent, like someone that's a CEO or a president. You know, they're always working. They're, you know, they'll throw money at the kid, but they're not there for them. And then the third one is a really authoritarian parent. And when you think about it, those are all narcissistic traits of those parents. Then the other area is trauma, abuse, and bullying. And what happens is, and um, even um, Kristen, the the head of mental health news and radio network. She even told me that she has learned and discovered even survivors of narcissistic abuse can temporarily become narcissistic because they are stuck in anger. They it's too painful to feel. So they just shut down and they don't want anything to do with anybody. And the sad thing is they were beautiful people and they were they were wounded. They just need to educate themselves about narcissism, because I think that's why a lot of us get wounded is because we're confused. And the best way that taught me is this audiobook I've been listening to about healing children with trauma. And I didn't know that in the book, um, it was written for foster parents and parents that are adopting kids. And the author said, why I wrote this book is because these parents were taking it personal. They thought, I'm a failure. I must be a bad parent. I can't help these, you know, these traumatized kids. But the beauty is once those parent, those adopted parents got educated, informed in the tools they needed, when the child started acting out, they no longer took it personal. They knew how to handle it. And the same thing applies to, you know, to me in the aspect of narcissism. Once we're all educated, we're informed, we know their behaviors, the traits that they're going to do. We have now a choice. How do I want to react? How do I want to respond? I don't have to take it personal because they're projecting their issues on you. Yeah. Now, does he have a place he goes to to decompress? A place of quiet? Yes, he has his his room. I'm actually sitting on his exercise ball (laughs) because how he... um, how he de-stresses is bouncing. He literally loves to bounce on the ball and um, he'll listen to music and he'll just, you know, he'll, he'll bounce and bounce and bounce. And it just, it regulates him. Does, is he one of those on the spectrum who wears noise canceling headphones? Nope. He's like me. Yes. I, I haven't had a need for them and I've never worn them in my entire life. And what is an average day for him in the what is an yeah, what is an average day like for him? An average day is if he had his choice, he loves to sleep in. <laughs> I think we all do. Yes. But totally he, agree. yeah, he loves to sleep in. He likes to 
he likes to start off gradual where he gets up, he has breakfast, he can listen to music, he can bounce on his ball, he can, you know, take his time getting ready for school. And that's that's the great thing is his school doesn't start until like 945. And I, I think that's a, you know, the, a perfect time, you know, for, for him to start. And so he he goes to school. He does his thing. He comes home. He's supposed to walk on the treadmill for 20 minutes, you know, part of physical therapy. And and then he uh, he just he enjoys the rest of his, you know, his, his evening. And, you know, we do have our. I like to call ritual where in the evening he likes to watch um, TV with me. Sometimes we watch ghost adventures or we watch Saturday night live or, um, you know, something funny that he, we, we like to watch and he'll have snacks and stuff, but it's just, it's, you know, having that moment in the evening, like, okay, let's connect, you know, how was your day? What, you know, what did, you know, what did you learn today? All that, that kind of stuff. And it's nice. We have a we have a really really good relationship. Now, what have the professionals all said about him? His therapists, his doctors, and all that. What what have they said about him? They think um, a lot of them say that yeah, they they feel he's a savant and he's super bright, really really smart. They feel he has a lot of wisdom. And a lot of compassion and a really good heart because we talk. And with my profession, um, I think it really helps him to see things from a broader perspective instead of coming from a place of victimization. I really, you know, I want to teach him empathy. I want to, I want him to understand the bully. I want him to understand, um, you know, people with disabilities and special needs. I, I, I want him to be a decent human being. And so communication to me is, is really key. And finally, how does he deal with sensory overload? Not very well. <laughs> um, the biggest thing, the biggest test, I guess, for me was when I he wanted to go to Disneyland when he when he turned 10 years old and I took him to Disneyland. And the very first day, huge sensory overload. It was like it was almost scary. And I had to break it up for him where it was like, OK, we're going to go on two rides and then we take a break. And we're going to sit, we're going to have a snack, we're going to drink something, we're going to, you know, just relax here for for 20 minutes, you know, get regulated again. Then we're going to go on a few Mm -hmm. more rides. Then we're going to take a lunch break, go back to the hotel. If you need a nap, we take a nap, you know, do what you want. And then we go back and we have some more fun. But I, I had to break it up into segments to make it fun and safe and not have him get overstimulated by all the people and all the crowds and the lights and all that stuff. I've learned that Disney does do special things for those who are on the spectrum. They do now, but at the time they really didn't. Yeah. I mean, I've talked with people that say now they give you shirt. If you tell me you, you are someone you are with is on the spectrum, they'll give you a shirt with no tag. 
I think there's special lines and special passes for those. There are um, because he had the CP of cerebral palsy. I had to show literally the letter from, you know, the doctor saying that, yes, he has this. Um, but there at the time um, there was there was nothing set up. Um, and in order to to get and I had to rent a wheelchair and all that. And in order to get in line, we had to, you know, go up and they, you know, they tell you, okay, you have to come back at this time and he can go ahead of the line. So it, it, they did make it really helpful, but thank you for sharing about the, the t-shirts. Cause I yeah. think that's awesome because a lot of people, sometimes they can see a kiddo, <clears throat> but not really understand you know, what, what's going on. But if they're wearing a shirt, that's like autism awareness is like, Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, that's the problem nowadays with autism is it's a, as a friend of mine calls it an invisible disability. People yeah. don't see us. They don't see our disability because we act normal. Right. So they don't. They assume we're normal. So we have to approach and say, "Hey, listen. Here is my letter. Here is this. Here is that." Yeah, I got stickers on my car, and I literally, like it says, if I get in an accident, there's a child with autism in the car. This, you know, this might, you know, expect this. And I've had literally parents come up to me and say, "Where did you get that sticker? I want that sticker on my car." Because they know if any anything happens, um, how the child's going to you know freak out. And what if you're unconscious and you can't speak to whoever's trying to help you get out of the car? They need to know there's a child with a disability in this car. I mean that's why they're. I know you can buy online. I've seen them in the past. The autism cards that say I'm on. I have autism. Um, I'm having a meltdown, flip it over and it tells them who to call, who to get in touch with. Don't, don't touch me and leave me be. Yeah, no, though. I mean, those resources like that, I think are like so vital and, and important because like, like, like you said, um, they'll just assume you're just some regular, you know, you're just an average Joe, you know, kind of kid, but you're really not wired that way and they need to have more, you know, sympathy and, and knowledge about it. Now, what kind of resources have you used that help you with your whole process of helping you learn about your son? How did you search out doctors? It's really just asking questions and being your kiddos advocate. And I'm going to say this here, Reed, sometimes you have to be a B-I-T-C-H for someone to listen to you. And I hated having to get that way, but sometimes you have to be that in order to be heard because they, like I said, with this primary doctor, oh, you're being overprotective. You're, you know, you're a paranoid parent. Your kid's fine. He's normal, blah, blah, blah. No, it wasn't. 
And it's like, you're not hearing me. <clears throat> you're not getting what I'm trying to say. Please let him get tested. And so I had to learn to educate myself and to take classes, to read books, to learn how to do the play therapy with my son. And there were so many things I had to learn in order to be the best, because here's my goal is to be the best parent that I can possibly be to, to my children. And if it means I need to step up my game and, and learn a different style of communicating or connecting with them or being vulnerable, I'm going to do it because to me, they're worth it. And I look at it is that child is a part of me. You know, it's not separate. I mean, yes, when he grows up and he's an adult and he goes on his own way. Yes, then, you know, he is. But if you can give him as much tools and resources and love as you can when they're growing and developing, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Now, do he have what kind of memory does he have? Does he have a photographic memory? Yes. Uh. Good and bad. <laughs> Good and bad. Yeah, it's it's that's well. And so do I. That's really challenging for him. And and and, and I and I and I and I get it. But it's sometimes it can be really helpful and, and, and great. Yeah, I mean, when you say good and bad, do you mean like your mind just gets overloaded his mind? Both your minds get overloaded with too much stuff you're remembering or the no, fact that you have trouble term, recalling. Yeah. Meaning in terms of the PTSD, when he disassociated, he literally thought his dad was in my house having a gun pointed at him. Yeah. And I'm trying to tell him your dad's not here you're in a safe place. And he wouldn't believe me because he was somewhere else. And not until he came back down, he would be like, why are we on the couch? Why are you holding me? Why am I here? What happened? And it was really scary for me to see that happen to him and to just have to put my feelings and my fears aside and just, you know, be there for him and, and tell him like, hey, you lost track of time. This is why you're here. And that's the, you know, the, the hard part is he has those traumatic memories and he is working with a trauma specialist, you know, currently, and he does have a child psychologist he, he works with. But I want to prevent all of that from happening. And that's why I wrote the book that I did. So I'll let you um, plug your book. <laughs> well, I think I plugged it in the beginning, but I'll plug it again in, in the end. So it's called The Undetected Narcissist. And I firmly believe that everybody should read it because when everybody is educated and everybody is informed, you're less likely to be victimized because you know who and what you're dealing with and you know how you're no longer going to take it personal. You're going to know how to handle it. And, and you can look at it as I can engage with this person or disengage with this person, but I know now where this person's coming from. 
And so I really want to stress that is I wrote it as being a tool to educate law enforcement, judges, parent coordinators, social workers. I tell you what I missed. I tell you what the specialists missed because this one covert narcissist did fool over a dozen professionals that were in the community meant to support us and they couldn't. So that's, you know, that's why I wrote it. Okay, Reed, I should be going soon. There's someone at my doorbell. <laughs> All right. Anyways, everyone, that was Angela. And you heard about her book. And I'll catch you on the next one. All right. Thank oh. you, Reed. I no appreciate problem, you. Have a great day. You too. the way things used to be I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories somewhere in the cloud to be gonna miss all you had consigned to the dustbins of history like opinions from your dead Talk to the freaks You can talk to just about anybody You happen to meet It ain't what it was And it is what it is